Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leah. My name is Lee. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a bulimic. I'm an anorexic. And if there was anything else you could be with food, I would be it. Hello. Thank you for asking me to share. Uh, I have to say, when I first came into the room, I'm not going to get this too far because I'm wildly neurotic, and so I kind of take it on and off. That's great. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. When I first came into the rooms, I didn't know I was all those things. I also didn't know that I had low blood pressure, which is why I'm always taking on and putting off my coat. I also thought I was big boned. I thought all sorts of things about myself and about how life worked. Uh, so just, uh, I'm in my 23rd year of abstinence, um, and I just want to tell a very little bit about what it was like because uh, uh, I was I was asked in part to consider talking about the steps which I wanted to too. So. A brief story about my story is that uh, this is what I remember. I remember my very first memory is being five years old and uh, going, and my mother and my sister, my sister who's older than me, I almost said my mother who's older than me, because my mother who was older than me, my sister who was older than me got to go with my mother to like a luncheon for like women, and I was, you know, told that I was going to go with my father and my brother and hang out with the boys. So um, the thing of it was that I felt very mixed because on the one hand, I was really excited to have a chance to uh, be with my brother and my father and get all the, you know, hang out with, with the, where, where the action was really happening, but I felt left out as being a girl. So, and I, I, somehow in my consciousness, I knew all of this. And so we went to a, a buffet dinner. My, my father took me and my brother to a buffet dinner or lunch, whatever it was. And it was all you can eat. And uh, my brother and my father were sort of like having this competition of all, the, you know, the, I can eat this and I can eat that. And so I didn't want to be left out. Hello. I didn't want to be left out. And so I um, I joined in and I kept going back to the buffet table. And the more I would go back and uh, the more I would go back, the more they would laugh. They thought it was just absolutely adorable. And, I, you know, it probably won't be a huge surprise that I was kind of short you know, when I was five. And, uh, you know, I like to say I came into the rooms I was 5'8", and now I'm this height, but that's not exactly what happened. But I was short when I was 5, and what happened was they were they were just kept, this is so cute, and I kept loading it up, and I got up, and I literally fell flat on my face and had a blackout. Um, I woke up 30 years later. <laughs> I mean, really, that's what it feels like to me. I, I, I woke up 30 years later in the rooms. Um... I really had no idea. I never heard about this being a progressive disease, but I'll just tell you where the disease had progressed to by the time I got in here. Um, I uh, I was coming out of a divorce. Uh, I had been married to a man that had dated Miss Universe before he went out with me. <laughs> um, this was literally, and when I met him, and I felt like I was very kind of chubby and, and unattractive and all sorts of other things. So I met this guy, and I thought, Oh, my God, this guy has, like, dated Miss Universe. He, I, how bad can I be if he went out with Miss Universe? And I decided this was, this was my criterion for marriage. 
So I was coming out of that marriage. Uh, We were going through the divorce at the time. And um, uh, what what happened was, was that um, I found myself doing something. And I I had moved to New York, which is where I started a program. I left her and moved to New York. And uh, I I had just come off of several years of running. And I was like a running sort of maniac. Uh, I was the kind of runner who, um, when I once was running, I got hit by a car. I got up and I started to run. And the guy got out of his car and he goes, lady, I just hit you with a car. <laughs> and it wasn't like I was, you know, it was not, I was not Olympic. I mean, it was not a pretty sight to see me running. I was like, I was not a good runner, but I could not stop running. Because I was terrified that if I stopped running, I was going to be fat because this was my tool. This is what I believed it would take. I will just run. So this guy says, lady, I just hit you with my car. Well, that's okay. Have a nice day. I don't really understand that. And then it was right here on Sandra. And sunny, and I just got up and I kept running, and I uh, I suspected something. Well, instead of coming away from there thinking maybe there's something wrong with me, what I came away from there thinking is I must be really really strong if I can get. <laughs> so I will just keep using my techniques, what I think is right for me to do, in order to keep you know keep winning this game of losing weight. By the way, I was not losing any weight. Um, Nothing close to losing weight. But then I came up with another fantastic solution. This was like absolute genius. One day I was in my my house, um, and I discovered that if I put food in my mouth and I spit it out, I wasn't like those sick bulimics I'd heard about because I, I, you know, I'd heard about what they did and stuff. But I wasn't like them because I wasn't, I wasn't vomiting. Because I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I just didn't have that in me, so to speak. So I wasn't vomiting, but I was just, you know, I was just going to chew food and, and spit it out. And this was, like, fantastic. And so I started getting into the habit of chewing food and just kind of then spitting it out in the sink. Well, as you can imagine, when I first came into the rooms, they said this is a disease of isolation. As you can imagine, or maybe you, hopefully you can't imagine, but um, when you're putting food in your mouth and you're spitting it out, you're not the best dinner company. <laughs> and I could not stop doing it. So you have to, you have to, you know. But that was not going to stop me from doing this because this, and I did not know this was a progressive disease. Remember, I'm just, I'm like coming out of my five-year-old car. i watch this. I can eat a grand potato the size of Iowa. So, um, you know, I... Uh, I just kept doing it, and I figured out how to do it. I was like Houdini. I mean, I could, like, eat dinner with people, you know, kind of look onto my shoe and go, did something fall and I spit into a napkin? <laughs> I could drive and do it. I could, like, undermine it. Was like, it was like my life had become about this because it was the only emotional release that I had, but I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't, I didn't know that something was wrong. I suspected that something was wrong with the way I was being treated by others. But I didn't know, I did not know that there was something wrong with me. So, um, you know, when I finally came into these rooms, uh, I had no idea how, um, first of all, when I finally came into the rooms, I, I, had been, I was putting food in my mouth and spitting it out. Um, I was eating 700 calories a day, and I weighed about 15 pounds more than I do now because I absolutely knew this was, this was what it took. I had no idea that I was... Um, Absolutely, really no idea that I was depressed. Um, I had no idea that I was isolated. I had no idea that I was a compulsive overeater. Um, and I had, uh, I had no idea that I, that I had no ability to enjoy the fact that I was younger and cuter. I had no ability to perceive the fact that um, something was wrong with my thinking. I literally was 
from the time that I was five until I came into the rooms, I was basically in like this sleep, like a, like a bad fairy tale of sleep where things just got worse and worse and worse, and I had absolutely no idea. So that's how I started the program. What time was? Okay. That's how I started the program. So um, I came in. I started the program in New York. Um, probably like a lot of other people, I came in and thought, gosh, these people are idiots. Um, and then, uh, you know, got over that quickly enough. I remember that when I first, the first things that I heard that absolutely kept me in these rooms, because I had tried everything and done everything, and I won't give you the list because I'm sure somebody can top me, and then I'll be very embarrassed. But, um, you know, I... Uh, the first thing that I heard that kept me in the room, I remember sitting in this room in New York that was about, honestly, about about a quarter of the size of this room. And it was just jam-packed with people. And there was a bathroom at the end. And the people were running in and out of this bathroom. And I just figured, everybody's in there chewing food and spinning it out. <laughs> because everybody is like me, except for these morons that happen to be in these rooms that are just, you know, too stupid to get out. So the, the room was about that size. And I heard this woman get up and she shared two things. She said, this is a disease of isolation. And that was like the glue that's, that, that absolutely was like a jolt of wake-up juice in my head. And then she said, this really stupid person who got up to share, I couldn't believe it. She said, I started compulsive eating when I was 16 and graduating from, Har- from Oxford. And I thought, what an idiot, you know. So, um, <laughs> and little by little, and then I remember, too, that I looked up and there was that third step. And this is what really did it for me. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And that was like the first time I actually, you think, I mean, I get a chance to understand my life, my higher power, God, as I understand God. I mean, this isn't about dogma. Nobody's going to get up and, and tell me what I have to do or don't have to do. All i got to do is pay attention to these traditions, you know, okay, uh, which has taken me 23 years to understand what they mean. Um, you know, all i got to do is this stuff. It was, I never felt so free in my life. I've lived in America my whole life. It was the first time, honest to God, I felt democracy in my entire life. So it was another jolt of waking up juice coming to me. And then I discovered that I was happier than I'd ever been. The day, honestly, the, the greatest thing I ever said was the day that I raised my hand and I identified as a compulsive overeater. That was like, you know, if it was a Disney movie, which wouldn't we love to see a Disney movie based on this? And then the prince <laughs> came. And she heard the words, she said the words, I am a compulsive overeater, and suddenly she came to life. But that was a lot of what happened. And, um, you know, all these people that were such idiots, all of you who I've never met before except a couple of you, um, are the people that have kept me sane and, um, and, and sober with food and everything else all these years. And uh, I, I looked, there was a woman sitting next to me when I was about halfway into, maybe like a month into the meetings, and I remember she sat down, and she was a beautiful albino woman. And she sat down, and she said to me, um, she said, do I look fat in this dress? I remember, I'll never forget that. And uh, I, I looked at her, and I said, no, you don't look fat in that dress. Anyway, the, the, the story is, is that I, I left New York shortly thereafter, and I have been on the phone with that woman every single day for 23 years. Every single day we talk. And we are, uh, I don't know, I think we're insane. I don't know what we are. We're like sponsors to each other where we land up, we've, you know, we've just, the point being that there are people that I know in these rooms and people that I don't know in these rooms who have been the best friends of my entire life. People who I've talked to briefly, who I've called, people who I've sponsored, people who have sponsored me, people I've just reached out to, people whose eyes I've looked out into, who have been, who know, know me better, have helped me more, 
than anybody in my life, and I suspect that that will continue the, the, the more I'm in. And it's not that the people that are not in these rooms are not good people. It's just the longer I'm in the program, the more I realize that there's a big difference in my life for people that are in a program and people are not, and I've had to learn how to adjust to life on life's terms. So um, that's my story of coming in, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. Um, my favorite lines that kept me in were, you know, this is a disease of isolation, and then the big book, great lines. Oh, there's a million of them, but uh, take what you want and leave the rest. That was another line that, that I said, okay, I, I can stay here. It wasn't like, okay, learn this, learn that, this, take what you want and, 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 uh, real, and leave the rest. Here's another juicy one I love. We realize we know but little. It was like, excuse me? Uh, you people must not realize that I know everything. I mean, when, when, I, when I looked at that step, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I literally had to um, go home and look up what humble meant. I had no idea. And by the way, at, uh, I was not 12 years old when I came in, and, and I was also, um, uh, you know, a, a published author of many books over, and I had a lot of success going on. I did not know what that word meant, you know. And uh, every day since, little by little, I get to um, I get to learn what, it's, what that what that word means. In fact, I just learned it right now because I realized I was talking about professions, which is not a good not not part of our tradition. So please forgive me. Just erase that. I no longer am that. Um, the point is is that I thought I knew everything. That's the point. And uh, I knew how to manage my weight. All I had to do was run, and when a car hit me, get up. All I had to do was put food in my mouth and spit it out. Um, I could not believe that, that I was depressed. That was just unfeasible to me. But you don't understand. I have friends. I, have, I was, like, wildly depressed. Um, this is not, in my experience, this has not been a pro this is not a program where people come in because they're happy, you know. It's not that there's not certain there's no it's not that there's not certain areas of your life that aren't wonderful because there are. But, you know, I mean people come in, you hear stories over a period of time as I know we all have, and you get you begin to get the impression that we are not weak people. That we are not people as it says in our material that uh, have no willpower. That we are not people who are not strong. We are people that have come through a lot of stuff and been through a lot of stuff and are fortunate enough to have found our way in here and courageous enough to have found our way in here and are people who have, as I like to think of it for myself, I thank God every day I had the food that I used it because I cannot imagine what my life would have been out like without that food and what I would have used. I I, I only wish, I, no, 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 come on, erase, erase, erase. Um, <laughs> uh, I... I tried another substance, thinking this sounded a lot more glorious. Couldn't do it. I mean, I, the thing of it is, is that what I've come to realize all these years later is, in fact, most definitely, my name is Leah. I am a compulsive overeater and bulimic, and I'm in the right days anorexic, and my life is unmanageable. And that there is something, you know, I mean, I'm a nice person. I don't have a criminal record. But there's something in my brain that snapped that moment that I was on that buffet table. And that there's something chemically that in my thinking, in my brain, whatever it is, I tried to figure it out. I tried to overcome it. I, you know, I didn't sign up for it. Uh, it's not, you know, it's just what I got. It's just part of my deal. And what it, what it 
what it tells me, whereas other people are told, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner. When I first came in and they talked about the, the basic food groups and breakfast, lunch, dinner, I thought these people were like from, you know, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm or something. I was like, what do you mean breakfast, lunch, dinner? My brain doesn't register like other people when it comes to food. Uh, and that's just the, the, the way it works. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, what it's like today and by talking about the steps. Um, I'm going to talk about just the steps for me, and I'm going to run through them really fast, and how I how I work them. I want to start by saying that uh, I've never worked a step nearly as hard as I worked looking for food before I came in here. You know, for the amount of work, just when I think about the amount of work that went into me finding enough paper to write all the lists that I wrote every day and every night of what it's going to be like for me when I'm thin. You know, uh, what it's going to be like, you know, who I'm, who's going to be sorry then? Uh, you know, uh, the glory that will befall me. Uh, you know, because I did not know that I had these things called reason. I didn't, I mean, I didn't know. I was, I was in the deep sleep while everybody else was maturing and growing up, although I, don't, I never really met that many of them. But while other people were maturing and growing that's the truth. While other people were maturing and growing up, Every time there was a call to be mature, I did not have the juice to do it, but I did have the food. So, I mean, all of the work that I've ever done in my life has never been as, it was much, much harder than the simple commitment of getting to a place where I said, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this alone. Uh, this took me the longest to get to. I mean, my experience, that's just my experience, but this is just that compared to all the grief and all the years wasted and uh, you know although I know it says in our promises they're not wasted I think I'm at the age now where I'm going eh. <laughs> but either way uh, the steps I've never I've never worked them I've loved them I've gone through more pain by working them than I would have otherwise but what we call work I'm not for the most part I find these steps work me if I just open the book you know it says in the third step the slightest, we just open the door and the key of willingness, you know. Uh, so here's the steps as I know them and as I read them. We were admitted we were powerless over alcohol, over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Well, that took me a long time. I, I mean, I didn't come in the rooms and say, I admit this. But the point is, is that I didn't realize that the minute I walked in the door, I was admitting it. Because to my way of thinking, everything had to be very hard. I was not entitled to have a life. I was not entitled to I was surprised that I was alive for whatever reasons, my own history. You know, so to be able to uh, to say that I was powerless, that took some going. And, and, you know, and the truth is I have to say that every single day. And the beauty is I know it's not only about food at this point, although thank God I knew that to begin with. It is pretty, pretty much about everything except for my own my own, uh, the way that I treat people, the way that I treat myself, the commitments that I'm willing to make how much of an idiot or a nice person I am to other people. That's pretty much it. What I put into my mouth, that's pretty much it. But it's pretty much, other than that, um, you know, I came over here wearing, with this really great white leather jacket I was all excited about wearing, and it was going to be so cool. And, you know, and by the time I got over here, it, you know, it was like freezing cold and dark, you know. So it was like, okay, I'll take my, you know, my alternative costume change. But the point is, is that uh, I'm powerless the second came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. This has been, again, a process. It's not, you know, I mean, 
I, I would love to be able to say that, uh, you know, I'm in here with 20, you know, in my 23rd year of back-to-back perfect abstinence. But in that case, I sincerely hope you would think that there was something really more mentally wrong with me than I, than I knew. So I came to believe that a power greater than, than myself was store, ourselves could restore us to sanity. It took me a long time because, and it changes all the time. When I think about what, my, what I thought higher power was when I first came in the rooms and what I think higher power today is today, it totally changes. My recovery gets better and better all the time. It's not like the cash and prizes are coming to the door. It's not like, you know, the things that I, sometimes I hear people say, and then I got this and I got that and I got this. It's just, you know, it's like the price is right or something. But it's, uh, it's like my, my, Comfort in the world, my peace with the world, my peace with the food, with my food, even when my food is funky, life is just better. There was no reason for me to believe in a power that myself, that greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity unless I could begin to believe that a power greater than myself was actually a benevolent kind source. That took me a long time because of my religious background. And because of, I, for a long time, I, I confused my, my higher power with my father. Um, and then with several other people, you know, it's a process. So, but I do believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Sometimes I believe that just because I figure, why not? There's nothing else, you know. Whatever it takes. Made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Again, that was the opening one for me. I kept thinking, okay, I, when, I make the, I was, when I make this decision, then everything is going to, you know, Everything's going to change, and it's going to be terrifying, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, but I didn't realize, and made a decision, and then made a different decision, and then made a decision. It's back and forth all the time. I get to do it one day at a time. That was probably the main thing I heard when I first came in here, is that really, really rocked me, was this is one day at a time. I went, really? This is New York, people. Don't you know how to live? This is one day at a time. And, uh, yeah, so one day at a time, one moment at a time, one hour at a time, whatever. I have to turn it over. The longer I'm in the rooms, the more it comes to me more naturally. The, the inventories, I've done a lot of them. I just gave another one away in a different program because I've had the blessings of discovering that uh, through these rooms that I have, um, that I'm welcome many other places. Um, but I've just done, <laughs> but I've just done a, uh, uh, another inventory. I've done lots of inventories. I used to think, you know, again, my, my very first inventory that I did, I thought that what I, I took my, my sponsor out after I finished the inventory because I felt so guilty that I had spent a lot of time, her time, that I said, I have to buy you dinner. After, and why was that? Because I was so, I, I did not know how to accept anything. I didn't really know how to do anything in life where there wasn't a meal attached. You know, it's like everything was a meal. You know, it's like take a step, eat a meal. Go to lunch, you know, you know everything was meal connected. So I didn't know how to, and how to be with people unless I, Unless there was meals, perfectly fine, entirely right. And then you, you admit to God and to yourself to turn this, to turn this stuff over. Not exactly how the words of the steps are, but talking, telling somebody else, admitting to another person the exact nature of my wrongs. Well, like for many people I know, ter- a terrifying, a terrifying notion. On the other hand, the more I do it, the more I've done it. Um, little by little, I've gotten greater and greater results and awarenesses that, in fact, the purpose of the fifth step, when I admit to God, to myself, and to another human being, the purpose is that I get to come out of isolation. I was rereading the fifth step last night in the 12 and 12, and it talks about most um, alcoholics, overeaters, do not realize how lonely we are. I do not, you know, uh, although I am divorced and I live alone and I work alone, it doesn't even cross my mind that I'm lonely, you know. 
but I am lo- I am lonely. That is by history. I can remember these very you know existential experiences of loneliness from the time I could even remember. I'd be like a little kid going, "What is life? Where am I? Who am I? Who are these people around? Me? You know that whole you know what are, are these my real parents? You know was I raised by apes? I mean, but but like feelings of not just like a thought passing through your mind, but really deep feelings. And it's taken me many years to identify. Oh, that is the gene. That is the I do not belong with others. That is the I do not belong here. The longer I talk to people, the longer I tell them what's going on, the longer I listen to people, the more I come out of that, uh, you know, those 30-some-odd years of, um, you know, the curse, darkness. Um, the uh, ready and entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Again, here's how I thought that worked. First, it had to be, everything had to be like tremendous amounts of effort, I thought. Everything has to be big, big effort because that's where I thought that I got all my praise from. So I thought I had to be entirely ready. Of course, I didn't know what entirely ready was. And nobody could ever explain to me what entirely ready was until finally I realized, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about what entirely ready is for me. I just have to say I'm entirely ready now. And if I am or I'm not, I'll see because I'll see what comes next. It's a beautiful thing. So, I have the six and seven step. I do them all the time. Am I ready to have this? Once I recognize the defects, am I ready to have this lifted? Yeah. Okay, God, can you please remove it? That's pretty much it. Um, if I'm not ready, great, the great blessing of saying, you know what? I'm not ready. I love when I can call my sponsor. Who, poor thing. I, uh, I call her up, and sometimes I just say, I'm calling just to tell you I'm still a compulsive overeater. And uh, I'm not re- I'm not willing to do anything I, that I should be willing to do. And she goes, perfect, call me tomorrow. You know, it's like, it doesn't mean I have to be ready. It just, you know, uh, you know, I make a list of people I've harmed. I became willing to make some amends for them all. You know, yeah. And it becomes easier and easier. And I find that I make less, I do less harm as I go along the way. Because now that I'm awake more and more, I know what it takes to have to make those amends. Before it was just like, yeah, you're an idiot, you're wrong, you're this or that. And now I realize, oh, maybe I should say something. So continue to make the direct direct amends, absolutely. I made a amends at my father's funeral about 11 years ago. I went up to die there, and I, I couldn't wait to get to my father's funeral, not because I was excited about my father being dead, but because there was a guy that I knew was going to be at the funeral who I hadn't seen since I was a kid who I had stole $40 from. And I'd completely forgotten I did that until my father died. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to have an opportunity. So I go up to this person I haven't seen probably for like 30 years. And I say, I owe you $40. This guy looked at me and he said, I think you're bereft. I said, no, I, you know, I, said, no, I, owe, I owe you. He says, you know, you're, you're beside yourself. Your father's just died. I said, no, I owe you $40. <laughs> and this guy has not, he, he, he took the money. And uh, he, um, I've never talked to this person again. And, you know, because I had no more parents to die at that point. So um, I've never talked to him. And it was the best part of my father's death. It was, it was really, it was like, this is great. I don't care if I ever talk to this person. The important thing is, is that I am clean. I, I do what I needed to do for myself without harming him or others. He may have thought of it. He may have not thought well of me, but, you know, that's one of the things I get to learn in this program is none of my business what you think of me. Um, so I continue to take personal inventory every day, not perfectly, usually right on the spot. I, you know, I seek through prayer and meditation Thank you. Through prayer and meditation, you know, um, well, 
you know, I don't do it perfectly by any stretch. I'm not a, I'm not a you know, I don't like to, I, I sit at a desk a lot. So I'm, after that, meditation is not a great thrill for me. But, you know, I do it in the ways that I do it. Um, I, I feel like I'm in prayer all the time, praying only for knowledge of his will for us. Well, let me tell you how well that went over the first many, many years. It's like, you know, I kept fighting. Are you sure it's his will? Or are you sure it's not like this will I'm reading about in another book that tells me how to get everything you want? You know, it's just... You know, and little by little, I realized, you know, it's probably just better to go with go with what his or its or her or whatever it is. That that seems to work really well because all the things that I thought I've wanted, that I've prayed for, that I've gotten, um, you know, a lot of them have been really, really miserable for me. So, you know, I'll try it this way. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, well, you know, this is a step we all love. Well, let me not speak for the for you know mankind, but let me just say this is this is. Uh, this is the great step. This is where service comes to pass. And, you know, you don't have to wait to have a spiritual awakening. I just think what you, I kept thinking, do I have a big enough spiritual awakening? It should be this big, that big. You know, when you walk into these rooms and you say, I'm a compulsive overeater, and you realize there's another way, and you're willing to take, to, to, to come up against what I realized I could not do, which is I came into these rooms, I was a compulsive overeater. I had no idea how much I hated myself. Absolutely none. I, there was so much self-hate. So much denial, so much unhappiness. I had 15 pounds. It might as well have been 500 pounds. It didn't matter. The point is, is that uh, my head has this disease, and um, and, it, and it, you know it, it always will, but not like it used to be. And when I think about you know where I would be today without it, I can't without this program. Uh, I can't even imagine, and nor do I want to. So um, that's it. Who would like to? I would like to see if anybody has. Um, Anybody? <laughs> was that someone's phone or was that, that whatever that was? Um, would anyone like have? Does anybody have a question? Uh, does anyone have a question that maybe they would like answer that maybe I can't answer? I'm sorry. The question was: Do you have a daily spiritual practice, and has it evolved over time? Yeah, my daily spiritual practice has changed wildly over time and continues to my daily spiritual practice today is that um i wake up and i say thank you that's you know uh i wake up i say thank you i feel like i without really saying it i'm saying the third the first three steps i get out of bed and i my spiritual practice is that i do something that makes me happy and that you know, so if it's like laugh, you know, when, when you live alone, you can pull all sorts of stuff off. And, Boy, I'm hilarious. You know, you laugh at a joke or you do something or you call somebody, but something that makes me happy. Uh, my spiritual practice is now that when I get up, the first thing I do is I actually open up the, the curtains, which um, for a long time I didn't do. Um, my spiritual practice is I make sure I talk to at least one compulsive over here every day or I am just, you know, I, I'm good for nothing. I'm in, a, I'm in a, a big book study online that I... I would like to say I'm on every single day, religiously and fabulously, which I am not. But I'm, I do that. You know, I go to meetings, um, not every day. I go to less meetings than I used to go to. But I go when I can't make a live meeting, I do a phone meeting. I sponsor people. People sponsor me. And, uh, you know, that's my spiritual practice. I, Yeah, that's my spiritual practice. It's definitely involved. When I first came in, I was so grateful just to realize I didn't have to put food in my mouth and spit it out, that I could be abstinent, that, I could, that there could be something other than this. But what I did not know was just so much unhappiness, 
so much self-hatred, that there could be something other than that, that I could actually get, string together a couple of days of abstinence. That was really remarkable to me. That I just stuck to God like, like, you know, like I thought I had to stick to God, you know. And, uh, yeah. How I sponsor people? With the whip. (laughs) 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 Um, How I sponsor people, you know, I, um, here's what I do. I, I work the steps with people. And I, at this point, I, what I do is, I, I ask people what they need in their program, what they think they need and what they want. I don't have a really specific way. I, I, I talk to people. I suggest that people call at least three times a week. We do the steps. I, you know, some people turn over their food to me. A couple of people turn over, some don't. Um, I, I sponsor people primarily. You know, we have, it's very loose. It's very loose in the sense that, um, you know, I really don't think, I took, I finally took, took, uh, took it very literally the sentence that says, we realize we know but little. I, I, so I don't think I have any answers for anybody. I just have my experience. So, um, if somebody needs to talk about an issue, we talk about an issue. If, if, you know, I try and relate it back to the steps. You know, I mean, and it's changed. I mean, I used to have somebody used to call up screaming at me, and I used to think, oh, I've got to take this. This is, you know, I've got to, this is how I recover, you know. And I had people that called up and said, I've just eaten French fries and a cake, and, then, you know, and now I'm going to have a gallon of ice cream, and I, but I just wanted to turn it over. And after a while, I went, okay, well, that's not going to work for me. So, you know, you go through different things. But really, um, I sponsor people. My main intention when I sponsor people is I say, please, God, let me be loving and helpful to this person and let this person be loving and helpful to me. And that, those are my standards. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And lots of times it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I don't pick it up off the floor and eat it anymore, which is what I used to do, honestly. <laughs> I swear to you. I now have this thing where if something falls on the floor, I don't eat it. I don't take things out of the garbage can. I don't eat it. You know, so my food is not always clean. In other words, you know, I mean, the longer I'm in program and, I'm ta- and, and my, as my body changes, um, and I and I you know, I am the only one in the world in the room who ages. But as I'm aging, I find my my things change. So you know it's not always clean, and it's, you know it's not the way that it used to be. I, I don't eat any foods that I any of my non-abstinent foods because the truth is I have no desire for them. But like right now, like my big thrill in life is apples. Okay, oops, we're not going to talk about food. Okay, sorry. So I have this one food that I really like. It is not on anybody, you know. But, you know, you can binge on a piece of celery. And, I, you know, I've come to, to love this food, and, I, you know, I feel like I'm loving it a little bit too much. And I call my sponsor, and I say, you know, I, I'm eating a few of these, and she, you know, and she tells me, don't worry about it. Just, you know, eat your meal and be quiet and leave me alone. <laughs> so, so it's not squeaky clean. It's not what it used to be. The foods that used to call to me, the, the things that were really bad for me, they don't call to me at all. I can go into a party and see a table of food that's not abstinent. It's just like, nah, it doesn't mean anything to me. Nothing calls to me. Foods do not call to me. That does not mean my insane thinking does not call to me. Food does not call to me, um, but when it does, I know that it's, uh, you know, it's just my higher power saying, okay, now we're going to grow a little bit more in another direction. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was really fortunate. I came up, I came in the rooms, I was struck abstinent, as they say. Um, how long did it take me? 23 years. However, don't worry, because the truth is, is that it stopped immediately, but it's, it's, sometimes stuff calls, you know. 
but not the things that I think will call. It's like, you know, it's not like the, it's not like the things that used to call. I mean, there's foods that I haven't had for in my 23rd year of not eating them. It's that, you know, just like the idea it's time to eat calls to me. You know, it's a generic, you know, it could be like, it's not a thing. It's like, you know, a movement, you know. <laughs> and, it, and, it, you know and I know when that's going on that i got to call somebody. And let me tell you, I call somebody immediately. If I find myself thinking, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll call someone tomorrow, then I know I'm in trouble. I, I mean, I call up people. I mean, like calls, you can't, you can't have calls like this in the real world. You can't call somebody up and say, I just need an extra fill in the blank. Thank you and goodbye. I mean, they drop a net down on your house, you know. But I turn it over immediately. But, yeah, you know, and it's, 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 it's you know, listen, it's still... It's not nothing like what it was when I first came in the rooms and how I was. And, you know, I've kept the weight off and I, you know, and I don't put, I've never put food in my mouth and spit it out again. And I, you know, for the most part, I'm not waking up thinking, oh, God, can I fit into this? Can I fit into that? And I realized I'm not big boned. And, you know, um, you know, you know, I eat more food than I did when I was, when I was doing food my way. So it's not like those old things called to me. It's that, uh, you know, little by little. So anyway, that's my time. I thank you so much for letting me share.